Hello everybody, welcome to PyCubed, the podcast about science, technology and anything else we find interesting. Salman Siddiqui and as usual your host is Francesco Bussiello. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, ha- happy to do this podcast thing again. It's become quite a nice routine every week on Wednesday we meet up and record a podcast. Yeah, it's cool. especially as the weather outside is... Uh, yeah, the weather outside is terrible. Yeah. It's sunny, uh, like it's, it's warm. What's uh, happening in London? Is like, there something wrong? Especially like... It's the end times. It's the worst because for me this weather starts and I get sick because of the allergies it's not uh, nice yeah. you, you can get like tablets and stuff yeah you do that. but they, they make you really drowsy so it's like it's a can you like stuff cotton buds in your nose and stuff and yeah it doesn't really work but yeah but um apart from that we, we just you know we went geocaching on sunday yes we did uh, which was quite fun so we should just you know maybe talk a few minutes about geocaching a geocaching is uh when someone leaves a cache hence the name what's something. a cache it's just a, a box of something. Uh, it's, it's hidden. And it normally has a piece of paper inside. Sometimes it has other stuff, but the ones we found here in London, uh, they were all just a piece of paper inside them. Sometimes they have treasure inside them, or, you know, mementos. Not actual cash money. No, 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 no. Not not, not that kind of cash, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, so we... And then people post online the coordinates to uh, where the geocache is, or the general area. And then they give you hints uh, and the description so that you have a, an idea. And this was the first time we went, and it was quite fun. It was slightly frustrating. You at met times. a few characters. Yeah, we met a few people who were actually doing geocaching themselves, and and some who weren't. <laughs> some who weren't, yeah, who were, who were very confused. Like, what are you guys doing? So we, we, we were three of us. There were three of us, and we were just loitering around outside, like uh, the Beatles studio, uh, Trident <laughs> Studios. Uh, and you know, it looked like we wanted to break in. Really. Trying to climb up. Walls and pipes. That, that was you. That okay, was, that was that me. Was, that was not me. You just you just climb whatever's there. That's your uh, your thing. But, my instinctive. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. Like mm-hmm. we also found one which was which you had to decode a cipher to actually get the right coordinate. Uh, and uh, but you know we didn't have time that day to actually decipher it, so I edited it later. But uh, next time we'll go. It's, we'll find that. Yeah. Uh, it's at the Freemasons Hall, I think. So it made sense. That it was a cipher. Yeah. To solve. We're gonna get ourselves mixed up in some kind of conspiracy here now. Like, there must be people who do like. Uh, go, we're gonna find some. We're gonna find some Illuminati secrets when we go next time. I doubt it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Come on, how much more sort of Dan Brown can you get? We get a cipher to solve Freemasons Hall. Yeah, but we're the, gonna, the, the, we have to look for a treasure around the there. Not Dan Brown part is the part where everyone else has really found it, your cash and signed it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Maybe they're all part of it. No. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, there must be people who do like uh, big treasure hunts like that around London. There has to be like groups of people who organise that kind of thing. Because that would be fun. I've never done that before. You, yeah. you, you've done it before, right? At your old university, you had like treasure hunts and stuff. Yeah, it's not on the same scale, obviously, but um, uh, just the in- involved kind of um, finding clues one clue led to the next clue and that could be anywhere around the whole campus which was a mini town and uh, 
Um, being fast helped. You just ran everywhere on the bike. I was on my bike, okay. and so. Uh, so the next time, motorcycle is the. Yep, and uh, and I guess having having a mobile data connection helps. So if you don't know the answer to a question, oh, just Google it. Yep. <laughs> Oh, Google's your best. But you know, everyone has access okay. uh, uh, to Google, so... That's kind of a shame, though. So the question You can just Google things. Because, like, for the cipher, like, I solved it by hand. It took me a while. But you could just, you know, put it in uh, solve it online, and it'll just do it for you. Sure. Uh, which, which takes away part of the fun, though. The, part, the fun part is actually figuring it out. <clears throat> but then, yeah, part of the trick of making questions is questions which aren't which you're not able to just Google, yeah, yeah find the answer. Yeah. That's true, but the, the the problem I have is that uh, riddles are, I don't like. I like them and don't like them at the same time because most of the time they are either too obvious uh, or too obscure. It's like there's really hard to. Some were riddles which I had. Some were uh, mixed in with like with like mathematical questions. So like they you went to a science university, right? Yeah. That's so why. they would. <laughs> So, so they would give you like, uh, like uh, the coordinates, or like say you have to um, complete what this sort of chemical compound is, and then that those those sort of initials are the initials of the building, something like uh, that. Yeah. Very geeky stuff. Yeah, but what fi- do you expect? It's fine. Just that uh, you know, I think I was saying before is that uh, sometimes riddles they are. My team won, by the way. That's nice. Congratulations. Twice here. In a row. So, did he give you a nickname for winning twice? No. Ah, okay. I wanted to be um, Indiana Jones. In, sure, why That's not? That's a classic one, right? Yeah. Uh, Should have made a video with like uh, with a red line following you around the campus. Seeing like, that I was in uh, at the middle of the desert ice and stuff, then. Yeah, but you didn't find the lamp, which is a shame. Astronomy news this week. Um, Herschel stopped working. Uh, Herschel was, if you guys don't know, it's uh, the largest ever infrared telescope ever launched into space by the European Space Agency uh, a few years ago, 2009. And it stopped working. Uh, not because it broke, but because it ran out of coolant. So, uh, what is it? The parts had to operate at just above um, zero. Uh, yeah, I think it was a maximum of two Kelvin. Oh, okay, which is, as we've spoken about before, extremely cold. Yeah, it's extremely cold. Minus two hundred and seventy-one yeah, degrees basically Celsius. You have to be at a lower temperature than the radiation you're trying to pick up, uh, and you know the cosmic background stuff is at two and a half Kelvin, two point seven Kelvin. Yep. Uh, so you know to pick that up, you have to be at a lower temperature uh, in space. So um, you needed you had this um, helium coolant. Which basically boiled off. Was it not liquid nitrogen? I think it was helium. Okay. And uh, what happened was that uh, the there was basically the helium was evaporating, so it was boiling. And you know, as, as things boil, they you know they capture the heat, and so it was keeping it very cool. But it ran out. It was supposed to run out last year, and it ran and it ran all the way to April 2013. So it ran a bit longer than they expected. But it still got a heck of a lot of data. 
um, from yeah, they the satellite, which they haven't. The surface yeah. of the, so they've of got the a lot to get through. Yeah, and basically what this uh, Herschel thing does, does, looking at infrared, is uh, it's trying to look behind things. Like most of lots of space is obscured behind giant dust clouds, which you know you cannot see through them with conventional telescopes. But with infrared, you can see behind them. Uh, so they were looking yep. at things like uh, galaxy and star formation, uh, the chemical chemical composition of the of the dust clouds in the galaxy, and uh, molecular chemistry, like in in the big uh, clouds in general in uh, in space. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was a uh, was a very expensive project. It was cost one point one billion uh, dollars. So what are they doing with it now? Well, uh, it used to be uh, in the L2, the second Lagrangian point of the Earth and the Sun. And if people don't know, a Lagrangian point is uh, a point... When you have two objects, like the Sun and the, the Earth, there are points, I think there are five or six of them, uh, if you are at that point, you will orbit with them. So, uh, in this case, L2 is just behind the Earth. So, it is... You have the it sun was always the, on the night side of Earth. Yes, exactly. Uh, because basically what happens is that the, the combined gravity of the Earth and the Sun is uh, counteracted by the the centripetal, uh, centrif cent centrifugal uh, force pushing it outside. So it is in balance, but it's orbiting with the Earth. It's always on the night side of the Earth as it orbits around the Sun, which is quite interesting. Uh, and basically what they're going to do is that they had a couple of, um, of proposals. Uh, the first one was to crash it into the Moon. Uh, in one of the moon poles to check, you know, what's up there because we don't really know. Uh, we've never been there before. That would be fun. Uh, but they decided not to do that because that was going to be expensive somehow, even though they're going to crash it. I'm not sure. So they decided that they're just going to uh, have it orbit around the sun. So they just push it away. Yeah, they're just going to have it give it a heliocentric orbit, which is orbit with the sun in the middle. And basically, the Earth will not meet it again for a couple hundred years. Okay. So in 20 years, you know, oh, that thing up there which just so passed it, us. Is... So it's just going to be another satellite in it's the solar system not doing anything now. Just space debris now. Yeah. One thing it did find uh, was uh, cold water vapor, uh, which so far we we found a lot of uh, hot water vapor uh, in in galaxies, but what cold water vapor could do is uh, form comets, and comets are thought to be the primary uh, one of the ways to bring water. The planets like on the Earth. Oh, so yes, that's how life potentially came as well, right? Some of the theories postulate yeah. that. And also, they they found water on Jupiter. Yes. Because there was the uh, the Shoemaker-Levy nine uh, comet uh, in nineteen eighty four. And this is a real comet, no joke. Yeah, and uh, it uh, it crashed on Jupiter in nineteen eighty four, uh, and it brought some water with it on Jupiter. <laughs> you know, compared to the mass of Jupiter, very very little. But uh, you know, it brought some water Jupiter, which we didn't know before. But we, we, we weren't sure about it before. In other um, astronomy news, uh, there was uh, a couple of uh, of launches uh, this week. Richard Branson's been busy, right? Yeah, Virgin uh, Galactic is the name of the company, and they they launched Spaceship Two. Well, I was ahead of first flight, and uh, it reached Mach one point two. Yep, which is. Quite fast, but nowhere near as fast as you need to go to escape the atmosphere. Um, so uh, it stayed within 
the Earth's atmosphere, so it hasn't actually gone no, into hasn't out, outer space. It has not. No. How far up was it? You know, I'm not sure. Um, okay, I would assume that it stayed within uh, the uh, the troposphere, which is the highest. Well, I don't um, get, band we, of the we can look it up in a minute. But also, they launched Antares, uh, which is, uh, which is um, the the launch uh, rocket for another company called Orbital Science Corporation. Which, no, no, there's there's two or three like uh, you know fighting for uh, to be the first ones to go to space. Private um, it's SpaceX, but which we've talked about. You yeah, we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, Elon Musk is the yep. behind that who's the same guy behind Tesla. And then you have Virgin, and you have uh, this other company, which have actually been, you know, doing stuff with NASA for about 30 years now, so they're not a new company. Uh, but yeah, this Antares had a... It went up to 255 kilometers, which is, which is you know, in space. It's yeah. not as far, as obviously, as uh, a SpaceX Dragon uh, went, uh, because they went all the way up to the ISS, uh, which is further up. Uh, and basically, what they dropped like a, a four-ton payload, like a, you know, a bogus payload, just to test it out, to see how it work, uh, because they're actually building uh, another cargo ship similar to the SpaceX Dragon called Cygnus. Though so, uh, the and is this what NASA want to use um, for uh, future missions to go up to the ISS? Well, uh, this um, the difference between Dragon and Cygnus is that Dragon can uh, you can actually uh, put stuff on it from the ISS and then you can take take it you know when when it drops down back on Earth. But Cygnus does not. Okay. So what's going to be used is going to you know take up stuff to the ISS and then on the way down they will throw away their rubbish in it because it will burn up in the atmosphere I think, uh, which is a different uh, application. And but during this launch of the Antares launch, uh, they also launched the first. Phone sats, yes. which is another project. Uh, Actual and Androids. Yeah, <laughs> Android phones. The HTC Nexus ones, which are now quite outdated as ne Android phones, but I guess they were when they started the project. And they were encased in like uh, four-inch uh, metal boxes. Uh, and they're currently orbiting over the Earth. And why do they want to do this? Well, it, they're just trying to, to launch uh, small satellites. Uh, they, call, they call them nanosatellites. And this was the first try, so they were they were slightly modified. They had like bigger battery packs and things like that. And they're taking pictures and stuff from yeah, they're taking pictures from space, yeah. and like they send signals that you know ham radio enthusiasts can pick up, which is which is cool. But these are, these are the first free phone sets. You can have a look online if you search if you Google uh, phone sat project. What about people so. who want to send their own phone into space? That'd be a bit more difficult. <laughs> You've seen uh, YouTube videos of people who uh, have uh, put phones or cameras way, you know, up in the atmosphere using uh, weather balloons. Yeah. But obviously this is a bit higher, 55 kilometers. Uh, I mean, you remember when the, what's his face? Um, Felix. Felix. He, he jumped from like 60, 70 kilometers. So, uh, and that took a lot of planning for the balloon. So obviously they, don't, they, they cannot reach that high. Uh, so you need a rocket. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Richard Branson of his spaceship too said that uh, uh, when they do like man flight of the thingy, he wants to take his family, just to show how yeah. safe it is. Why not? Well, he thinks it's safe, obviously. Uh, but I mean, it's cool because it doesn't. It, it launches uh, in a different way. It launches off a plane, which is cool. Uh, would you, if you had money, would you pay to go up to space with, you know? 
it's just into orbit, right? It's not actually into. Well, then uh, this is space. Space is actually like forty kilometers up. Uh, the troposphere extends to about um ninety kilometers, but yeah, but like the definition of space is actually much lower. If you it depends, okay. it depends but who you are. But you're still within the Earth's atmosphere. There, I think what uh, the troposphere starts at about fifty kilometers, and and then the tropopause ends at about ninety to hundred kilometers. But um. Sure, I would love to. Why not? Yeah, if I had the money. I want to experience that. Very... zero gravity and stuff. Um, I'd I'd like to go into space. I I don't want to go on a on a one way way mission to Mars. Obviously not. But a but as a healthy adult with a healthy curiosity in space and science, why not? Yeah, sure. Uh, it would be interesting to do experiments up there. Uh, you know, no gravity or extreme conditions. Actually, wrote a piece about. Um, you can look up on the website uh, about organisms that survive in extreme conditions. And there is uh, this tiny animal called a tardigrade or water bear, which is the first animal to survive in space. Like they they kept a bunch of them outside, out you know, in space, in the vacuum of space for like ten days. It survived in the vacuum. Well, it survived the ten days. It left them outside, and then they brought so them. So no shielding or anything. No. So it survived the radiation. Yeah, it everything. survived the cold. Yep. The vacuum. Survived the vacuum, so no pressure. Yep. Okay. No oxygen. Well, not all of them survived. Like sixty-five percent. Okay. Okay. But also the fact there's no oxygen and. Uh, yeah, and basically yeah. these well, tiny things, they can, uh, uh, when they get completely dry, they can survive up to ten years. Soldiers. And basically, if you rehydrate them after ten years, they're still they can still you know get back to doing whatever they do in their life, which is not much, admittedly, because they're tiny little critters. But yeah, it's interesting. And uh, there was actually an Italian project, uh, NASA, which was uh, looking at how uh, different organisms survive in space, and tardigrades are you know like super resistant. Of course, you know th th that's the thing with these organisms that they're super resistant to radiation or dryness or whatever but they're, they're, they're tiny they can't do they're, much they're else. not very complex no. actually the tardigrade is surprisingly complex for something that can survive such extreme you conditions you think that it'll be something like a certain types of uh, bacterium yeah there are that. bacteria that, that you know can survive in extreme conditions they're called extremophiles but you know they're bacteria so you would expect them to evolve in extreme conditions you know if they're living next to a you know, a super hot sulfuric vent in the bottom of the ocean, then you would have to, you know, be able to survive crazy conditions. But it's not really seen amongst complex organisms. Uh, no, it's not. But the, the the good thing about humans is that we can we can take them and bend them to our will, if you if you will, is because uh, you, you can take you know you have bacteria that produce uh, medicines, uh, other things because you can you can mess around with the DNA. You can copy genes across fuels. from. In fuels as well, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, and you know, with this super radiation-resistant bacteria called Conlander bacteria, because it's very resistant. Anything to do with Arnie? No, unfortunately mm. not. Uh, because it's so radiation-resistant, NASA is thinking about using it to uh, to make medicines for you know space travel. Because if you have a bacteria that can survive extreme conditions, you're always going to have a source of medicine if the bacteria is modified genetically to produce medicine talking about bacteria uh, and modifying bacteria there was a professor at Exeter University called John Love 
who uh, produced uh, bacteria that can um, manufacture, can produce uh, biofuels. And what he did was he uh, took some genes from uh, the camphor tree, some soil bacteria, and the blue-green algae, and he put it into uh, E. coli. What's so, what's so special about the this algae and tree? Uh, well, they can produce uh, fuels, and basically, what happens is that he, he feeds them glucose. Uh, this glucose is turned into sugar, uh, in, into fatty acids, which then these fatty acids are transformed into hydrocarbon chains. Okay. And the interesting thing about this particular what hydrocarbons in particular? Uh, just petrol-like hydrocarbons, okay. which is. Uh, What's the most interesting thing about this development is that bacteria producing fuels, biofuels, is not a new thing. But uh, bacteria producing fuels that look like petrol or diesel, that's new. Because due for... Without any, re without any further uh, um, uh, processing or refining. Yeah, no, not just not just that. It's just that the, the length of the chain is important. Yeah, so you, uh, you need to make uh, these hydrocarbons, which are quite long, uh, because the, in the way our, our engines work, uh, they work a lot better with the they're designed for these fuels, and they also they last a lot longer. Uh, because they're better lubricants than well, the yeah. shorter chained hydrocarbons. So it's quite I mean, it's quite interesting development because uh, in theory, if you could, this, this would be a carbon neutral way of producing. Uh, uh, would it? How efficient are these bacteria? I mean, they're, they're, quite, they're quite efficient because they, they still need um, sugar or or a glucose well, yeah, source. Course, well, you, you cannot create from of course, yeah. you know, from nothing. Uh, but they you know, obviously they have to figure out a way to scale up to you know full size production because you're not going to do much with a couple of milliliters of fuel. But you know, if you can produce tons of it, then uh, we'll see. I mean, it might be it might be still more expensive than you know just uh, taking it out of the ground. But uh, it's another avenue to be explored. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, fossil fuels will at some point. Uh, well, we know that. Yeah. Finish. Yeah, yeah. and well, um, maybe not not maybe not in a lifetime, but at some point. Well, they we will. know that, like, um, I don't know, uh, sugar cane, and also. Um, all like you know chip oil that they use for like oh uh, from uh cooking can be oh converted to be used as fuel yeah, for cars and for for diesel engines yeah they they, they can yeah. use that. but the the problem is that it's but they have to be specially converted over everything works uh, in terms of economics right people they want to save fuel people they want to be nice to the environment but at the end of the day if it costs them a lot more they're not going to do it so at some point there'll be so little oil left or it'll be in very hard to reach places that uh, you know bacterial biofuels or ethanol will be cheaper uh, yeah that's like fast like other fuels such as um, uh, the tar oils up in Canada um, they only uh, they only exploit that source when the when the price of oil goes above a certain amount um, which is which is only when it's um, financially viable to yeah exactly to extract it because normally there's, there's no point because it's just so much cheaper to yeah, import it from wherever because you won't uh, be making any profit off of that exactly so it, it's a question of economics so I did figure out a way to make it incredibly cheap incredibly efficient or we're just gonna have to wait until the of, price of oil goes up of course it doesn't matter where it's from it's always gonna be taxed oh well, yeah but. Uh, <laughs> 
you need, you need tax from somewhere in the end of the day. I mean, yeah, it's, petrol in Europe is, uh, what, 80% tax, I think? Probably more than that. that. It depends on the country. Yeah. But yeah, it, that, that's why, for example, um, a bit less now, but in the USA, whenever there was an oil crisis, like the oil price would go up, they would really feel it because tax is a very small percentage compared to Europe. So if the price of a barrel of oil doubles, the price of oil doubles. The price of uh, petrol doubles, or gas, they call it there. Uh, here, if the price of oil doubles, the price of petrol goes up by, what, 10%? Yeah. Because the actual percentage of the price, which is cost of oil, is very small. Yeah, um, I mean, um, the government even finds, they even tax the fuel that you would say if you've um, converted your engine to run on on uh, biofuels or your own made um, sort of uh, um, converted fuels from oil, from, cooking oils, yeah. chip oil. Yeah, you you're even legally obliged to pay tax on that so if it's running uh, your car. So basically, the tax is on uh, using the engine, not necessarily on the fuel itself. That is the way it works in the UK uh, and in the USA. I'm sh- I'm sure as well. That's quite interesting. I didn't know that. You saw the video of the of the Microsoft research um, uh, tech demo of the of the um, the, the projector thing. Yeah, of the Illumi room. Illumi room. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's Microsoft has a, it's just research for now. They haven't. You know. It's a cool concept. Yeah. Uh, and this. And and their demo. The uh, the potential it has is pretty cool. I mean, it is just um, a YouTube video at the moment and uh, stuff. But uh, uh, people online claim that it will be bundled in with the new Xbox. I don't think it will be bundled in, but um, uh, it's coming along similar lines to what the Connect was, and yeah, that now that the Connect's yeah. going to be part of what the next Xbox probably, will yes. be. Uh, we don't know, but probably and. Um, this will probably be sometime in the future because it's going to have to be work put into this. Um, games are going to have to, if it's going to be used for games, that is, they're going to have to take advantage of whatever the... Stop a second and explain what it is. Paint a picture with Sorry, your words, yeah. Salman. Well, picture this. You have your TV and you have a blank wall or you've got just bookcase or something, bookcase, next, something to next to it. But but you're only using your TV to play a game, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you put this projector on your coffee table, on your right? coffee table, or you can put it behind it anywhere you want, just well, as long as it's in a place. as long as, as it's beaming towards uh, your TV, mm-hmm. and and it's got a camera or a sensor in it, so it can uh, tell what's your TV, well, what are the surrounding probably, objects. It's probably connected to your Xbox, I would imagine. Probably, yeah. Well, of course. And so then it knows um, what the TV is displaying. Because yeah. And then, um, and then, so for example, if you're playing, uh, say, first-person shooters, it yeah. can, it can, it will um, uh, project uh, supporting images around your screen, which will, w- which will make you feel like you're actually in, immersed in the environment, or it will have like, Optica- say, optical illusions, or, yeah, or like uh, say if 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 you've got. If, if you get oh, shot, the whole room turns red. The moment you're getting shot, and so it makes you like feel that. like you've got blood in your. Sure, yeah. 
uh, or if you've got like um, a power up on on the floor which is off screen it will appear on on your floor but I'll project it so you can um, like turn around and you'll see it on on the screen I'll pick it up yeah th- that's the idea of course uh, behind it uh, but you know projectors are kind of expensive so we'll see if this ever comes to market and they only work well in a dark room but the whole point of this was like oh you can actually use it on your furniture like you, you don't need to move anything it will just it will scan the room and figure out where how to project it and yeah. it will adapt itself to so the, if you've got a plant on your wall um uh it will um it will know there's there's an object there and it won't project where the plant is so it will look like your actual um wall is um is part of the screen yeah it will your tv it, is on it's smart projection basically yeah. uh but and, was, yeah and i'm saying and the demo had like other features so if it's so, so if it's raining on game or if it's uh, snowing in game you you have like snow falling elsewhere around your room it's basically or... augmented uh, you know because there there was a I think it was Philips uh, TVs with a back which had light. something similar I can't remember if it was Sharp TVs or Philips TVs I think yeah there was one of these TVs and they had uh, extra backlight at the yeah, end which was yeah so if you've got like a lot of red on your screen it, it will all project a red light behind or yeah. if you're watching football it'll project green light behind them just but it's that was just ambilight or something yeah. similar. Yeah, I don't know about that. But th- this one actually looks really cool. So if you, if you Google and search for Illumi Room, Illumi Room, uh, well, you should be able to find it, and it's much better if you just watch the video because it's self-explanatory, really. And and on the same subject, this month Microsoft could be announcing. Yeah, they, well, they, they are actually they. Uh, if you go to if you open your Xbox stuff, it'll be a big splash page. It'll be like May twenty first, the the next generation is here. They're announcing a new Xbox, which is about time because Sony announced. We talked about the Sony one a lot, uh, yeah. So, so we'll try to talk about the, the Xbox one uh, maybe as much to be uh, in the coming maybe, weeks. Yeah, the, not now because we don't know anything about it. Uh, there are only rumors and speculations, including the inclusion of the Illumi room, uh, but we don't actually know anything about it. No. There are speculation about always on online stuff, but let's not let's not comment on that. Let's move on. But um, talking about projectors, though, yep, uh, there was a uh, something I read the other day, which they would they, uh, you know, when it's raining, right? And you have of course I live in London. Oh, you live in London, and you have a car. So do you have a car, right? Not anymore. Well, you had a car. I had once upon a time. Uh, and uh, if you turn your your headlights on, and it's raining. It can be quite annoying because the the rain droplets will reflect light back at you, so the your visibility will be, you know, not as good because it hampers your visibility when yeah. it's raining. Yeah. So what they're thinking about doing is instead of having headlights, you have smart projectors. Well, not thinking hasn't this actually? Well, they, been they've, they've made it. Yeah, but you know, to actually put it into cars, is, it's going to cost a lot more money. Yeah. Yeah, but what this does is that uh, there's a small camera. You have uh, to see it in 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 a in a. In a Jeremy Clarkson um, in voice. the world, yeah. Uh, no, I, I refuse to do that. He, uh, but uh, what it does is, is the camera looks outside of your your headlights and can see the droplets of water. I guess it might be infrared camera. I'm not sure. Uh, and what this does is then the projector projects light in front of you like a headlight, but not in the spots where the droplets are. So the droplets don't project back at you. So exactly, so you don't get any reflection and from the And you don't the water. see the rain. You don't see the rain when you have headlights on. 
which is quite cool. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, you, the projector is continually projecting, like, you know, very quickly because rain drops. What kind of frequency do you fast. think it's working at? Uh, high frequency. <laughs> <laughs> And not low frequency. Well, uh, I, I, I imagine it have to work really well. Well, what's our refresh rate, so to say, in, uh, of uh, humans? Yeah. I don't what know, sort like of frequency do we? Hundred hertz, maybe. It has to be less than that, because um. The movies are movies are twenty four hertz. Exactly. I and mean, TV can't, is fifty uh, hertz yeah, or sixty. If you're yeah, I, and we don't notice that refresh. Well, you do notice that refresh. It's just that you're used to it. Do you? Well, I haven't, I haven't watched The Hobbit in the cinema even though I wanted to oh because that was but um, that was in 48 yeah so it was twice as many uh, frames as the normal movies and it looks weird because it looks a lot smoother it looks like TV it looks like daytime TV and basically we're you so used that um, movies uh, refresh to the 24 hertz 24 frames a second that if it's refreshing faster then you you don't think it's a movie you think it's TV because TV is at a rate so it's it's a perception thing okay um, because of course, you know, it, if you have a higher uh, higher frame rate, the motion is much better. Like, if you watched the Hunger Games, the the movie. No, sadly, I haven't. Uh, I'm not particularly fan. <laughs> we were, I, I went to see it with my friends, and that movie has uh, you know the um, Paul Greengrass uh, Born Identity style camera work, where it's like everything is super blurry. It's like a handheld camera, and it's moving all over the place. Okay. And basically, the fights start in the movie, and then just the camera starts dancing. And you cannot see anything. It does, just, just blurs for half you, an hour. Does that not make you dizzy? It did a bit, actually. Uh, like there's, mm. At some point, at the end, there's like a fight. Uh, and it goes on for like maybe five minutes. In the Hunger Games? In the Hunger Games, yeah. Uh, and uh, they're fighting, and you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> okay. right, because it's just blur, 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 blur. Then at some point, the camera pulls back, and you have like a, a shot from above of the three characters. And you're like, wow, I can actually see what happens. And then it goes back to blur vision, and you cannot see anything anymore. But if that was at 48 hertz or higher, then you would actually be able to see that kind of uh, movement. Because uh, okay. the lower the um, the frame rate, the more blur you have. Which you know, some some uh, directors will use it as a stylistic choice to have super blurry. But I need to check this out then. If um... yeah, I mean, if, if you play a game at a lower frame rate, like if the computer is slow, uh, if it's really like very few frames, like under 15. You, uh, you you notice well it gets really choppy yeah but if you look at a game running at sixty hertz and one running at thirty hertz thirty frames a second you can still notice the difference you can notice because the one sixty will be really smooth and the one at thirty will not and so we're getting used to having video games running at a much higher frame rate than movies so maybe one day when all the movies will be at forty hertz then uh, you know will uh, the old movies will look really bad like, why why is this so not why is it so choppy? Maybe, but um, it's, it's a bit like you know, uh, how like many films? Black and white, but, but or uh, it doesn't make that much difference. Um, black and white. There have been a few black and white films recently, and I've I, and even watching some some black and white films, um, some old black and white films, um, they're still uh, they're still very good and they still uh, all, that's true all but, but they look dated like actually the, the Technicolor stuff looks a lot more dated than uh, the black and white stuff you know the uh, early 50s super saturated colour they had in films because that was the, the film they had was Technicolor yeah. and so if if you see a still from one of those movies you'd be like oh this is from the 1950s or 60s or whatever and it's going to be the same today you know uh, Orange and Blue 
like all the movies today are orange and blue the spectrum of colours if you you watch Transformers they're right? not RGB well no they are RGB but like the uh, you, you can choose which colours to highlight alright and what's popular now is orange and blue because they contrast really well so if you look at uh, you know like Transformers like Deathstroke <laughs> like Transformers uh, the, I only watched the first one but like the skin of the characters is orange and the the, the, the sky mean, is super blue uh, it's not it looks a bit orangey you mean Shia LaBeouf's and Megan Fox uh, yeah. they are was it Oompa Loompas yes no but it, it it's even like on video games video game covers as well like or movie um, posters everything is uh, blue and orange okay if, next time you, you go to see a movie have a look and all posters and stuff and you'll notice it once you know it's there and that tint will look really dated in about 10 years time blue and orange will look dated oh okay I think it will it was, you know it's just uh, it's, it's, it's always you know those things that are you know, very culturally uh, prevalent for a short period of time and then looking back 10 years later like oh that period that thing right there was of that period alright that'll be interesting to just see in 10 years time one of you listeners should email me and tell me oh you were wrong you were right I'm reading a study, I have it open on my laptop right now, Salman. It's called Consequences of Erudite Vernacular Utilized Irrespective of Necessity Problems with Using Long Words Needlessly What? By Daniel M. Oppenheimer Well, the title is obviously making fun of the of the inclusion of the study But basically the study talks about how um, people tend to overcomplicate the things they write like using longer words that you know than necessary yeah. and just to appear smarter well the study specifically looks at a bunch of graduate school students doesn't it yeah so a majority of undergraduates admit to deliberately deliberately increasing the complexity of their vocabulary so as to give the impression of intelligence and then he concludes however this research shows that such, that such strategies tend to backfire I know I've been guilty of this in the past you have yeah at school maybe uh, at school probably like essays and stuff um, you know, I know well, well I've well, well I can think of uh, occasions when I've been searching through uh, a thesaurus just to use longer words to put into places but um, yeah, which, which, which uh, if but you, you live and learn don't you so yeah if if you read uh, some papers like ac- academic papers oh god s- some of the stuff is written so sometimes it's, sometimes it's it's foreign speakers, so I I can accept that writing in English. But the worst offenders are normally the yeah the, the first language you know English yeah, speakers. Yeah, and they're normally in in uh, um, university newspapers. Oh yeah, well yeah, well it's, it's focusing on academic like papers for now. But yeah, the, I mean sometimes you're reading a paper from Nature or something. So I respected peer-reviewed journal. And it's just basically trying to decrypt a cipher. It's just because they get of, difficult to read, don't they? Because it's not necessarily really. Sometimes the subject is difficult because it's maybe something you haven't studied or something which is new. And instead of trying to explain the concept in simple words, or you're just using the words necessary for to explain that subject, which is you know you, you can use long words as long as they are necessary. Yeah. Uh, but using them just because you can just makes it really difficult to read, and it makes you. Look a bit silly, really. Uh, you, 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 the whole point of communication is not trying to appear smarter; is to communicate. Um, humans have 
two sets of they have two sets of vocabulary normally passive okay. and active right mm-hmm. and and the average person's passive vocabulary um sorry the average person's active vocabulary is the words we would normally use um if if we were looking for um like words words to say so so like if if you want to describe something they would tend to be the first word that we would go for so usually the simpler ones yeah yeah and that's in the region of 10 to 15 no sorry 10 to 20,000 hour depending on on you know how much you've read 10 words 10,000 to (laughs) 20,000 words depending on how much you've like um uh, you've, you've read you've and read and like yeah and so that's for an average person they've said in um, the English language of course in the English language yeah because the English language has a hell of a lot of words that mm. they've borrowed from many other languages yeah but um uh, a person's passive vocabulary which is which is the words that you wouldn't normally resort to when you're when you're speaking or you're writing but you can recognise because you've seen them um, and you know what they mean um uh that is more in the region of 60 to 80,000 actually but um what some writers do um uh what they tend to do is they'll go out, out is that they'll go outside this and they'll look for words which is which like hardly anybody uses so you so op- you have to look it up in a dictionary open up a thesaurus look for synonyms for say and then not even a thesaurus nowadays just, and then just go like, online yeah, and uh, right click on word and like oh, he, he instead of saying he enunciated or other you know words which yeah. are you know unless he was actually enunciating <clears throat> something like if, if the nuance of the word you're using is important to what you're trying to say then you know use the word but otherwise there's no point because the study uh, concludes in the interim we can conclude one thing the pundits are likely right Write clearly and simply if you can, and you'll be more likely to be thought of as intelligent. So this strategy actually backfires, and it yeah, and it doesn't make a difference. Um, you uh, you can really tell the diff like um, when you're reading um, two pieces of in- information on the same on the same subject, and um, and I've seen this in like in like both uh, scientific papers and. And both essays and stuff. Um, uh, uh, even myself, first uh, first draft, incredibly difficult to read, complicated words. Then you go back, and you simplify everything, and it's so much more simpler to follow through. And um, and I think it 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 will just help the reader if they don't have to resort back to a dictionary every time they yeah. they when well, they come to a word. And um, yeah, using excessive words. Well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a particularly good writer, but at least when I write something, I try to, uh, I think about what am I trying to say here, especially you know with science writing, with stuff for the blog, is what am I trying to communicate to the reader? And that's the most important thing. Do you have any examples of, of, a, of a scientific literature which are, um, which are um, bad in that sense? Oh, you mean like uh, what the main culprits that you've come across recently for for like difficult to read difficult language? Well, there was um, I'm, sorry, sorry, but there's one thing difficult language, but there's unnecessary difficult language, which just to make clear, which is what yeah, we're of course, we're th- th- there's nothing wrong with using complex words. Yeah, if in a scientific like, paper you have to talk about certain things, of course, uh, yeah, without uh, uh, and and sometimes 
um, you have to resort to what to certain if, terms. If a refraction, yeah. you, but you can't talk about. Yeah, of course, that. but that's, but that's different. It's more sometimes like the structure of phrases. So instead of saying A causes B, it's like in the effect of B happening, uh, A has a you know it's just you you you're, you're talking around a very simple concept by trying to, sometimes trying to maybe you're just doing it because that's how you learn to write, but many times you're trying to sound cleverer than you are and. Instead of you know explaining a very very simple concept, you're actually confusing the reader, which is bad. Like the other week, we were researching um, smart cities because we talked about them. I think it was two weeks ago in the yeah. podcast. So I, we always prepare ourselves before before recording. And there was this guy who wrote uh, a, a manifesto for smart cities, like what smart cities should be in his view, in his opinion. And it was like this really long piece of text, which was written in such a way that very simple points would span for you know two or three pages and it would just be i basically fell asleep halfway through it he was saying interesting things it was just he was saying them in such a way that uh it were unnecessary words unnecessary turns of phrases and it's just unnecessary complexity which is a shame uh so i personally think i mean of course if you're writing a novel well then you, yeah. yeah but th- there is actually i can't remember the name there was a published i think she was scottish uh, author, who was like, who was basically dr- one giant metaphor. Like she wouldn't say things clearly. Like kneecaps would be like, you know, like rosebuds, or okay. she would not use the right words for or anything. Even... And th- I think there was, um, I think it was, I can't remember if it was talking. It was people at Oxford, the uh, writers uh, who were teaching there, who used to have competitions. Like who could read her stuff the longest without <laughs> without laughing, because it was just so terrible. Even you scientists, I found is um, is a guilty of this. Uh, I remember reading the article they did on the Planck telescope and uh, okay it's not the most easiest or the most straightforward subject but the way that it was written it just made it 10 times more complicated than it had to be and the way they were e- explaining the main concepts because science is complex yeah. many complex things but it doesn't need to be more complex than it actually is yeah, the more plain language uh, we use, the more people are going to be able to understand what we're saying. Again, it's another it's another barrier to Entry, accessing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, uh, uh, we talked about it last week. I think uh, about vaccines is that you know people have to be able to trust science, uh, and they have to be able to read science. And the easier you make it, uh, the more people uh, will be able to read it, and, and then you know everything will be better because then people will not believe stupid things or not you know buy medicines that don't work or and you know all those things which is why i'm a big fan of these things um like which are online like you know cgp gray uh minute physics crash so youtube uh, videos yeah which like make make difficult concepts but they try to explain them as simply as possible and make them a- accessible to a wider audience which is what we're trying to do on, yeah, we, on we the website too. i suppose yeah we are too i mean uh, of course um what we're trying to do is uh, I'm writing interesting things things that people might not know that, so that it gets them interested and I always uh, put in references or further reading so that people can actually go look at you know the more complex because I'm, I'm not going to write you know uh, uh, a very in-depth article about reading you know, with equations because that's not going to you know, it's not going to work for what we're trying to do but what we're trying to do is getting people excited and interested about science and then pursuing uh, those more complex sources yeah, but actually, I was I was um, I was researching the the article about 
tardigrades, which we talked about before in the podcast today. Uh, and, uh, like, the scientific magazines, they get some things wrong, badly wrong, like New Scientist as well, which, you know, you would think that they would check the well, Sorry to be picking on New Scientist, yeah, but that is one of our main Well, sources. that's why we, we, I read it all the time, so that's why. And there was an article from a couple of years ago which said that, you know, things tardigrades can do, and it was a list. And the first one was they can live up to 120 years. And then I, I, I googled and there was a study which was called Myths About Tardigrades. <laughs> and in the abstract it said that it's not true that they can live 120 years, it's a myth. And so you would think that, and the study was about 10 years ago, 2001, so, so it was before the, the article. So you, you know, if the article was from the mid-90s, you know, fair enough, maybe that's what people thought at the time. But a modern, a recent article, it should be... Proof checked as well. Like, um, wasn't it, a thing about about I, the aerodynamics, which they also yeah, got really it, wrong. If with. I could, you know, check uh, with a quick Google search, and I'm on my own doing this, they have a huge staff. They should be able to do better. <laughs> uh, Fact you know, checking everything they it, go through. It, it, and, uh, I don't want to pick it in too much, but it was also like uh, an article about planes uh, about a couple of months ago, which had some basic aerodynamic concepts completely reversed. Which kind of ren- which kind of rendered the rest of the article pointless. Uh, well, not necessarily pointless. For it's just like, w- which parts do I, do I have to believe now that uh, you know I know that some of them are really wrong, <laughs> and and the whole thing was that uh, um, was about drag on an airplane's wings, and we were saying that you know there. Let's, let's explain your favorite subjects again. We were talking about this before. Uh, we have, yeah. Uh, basically, you were saying that turbulence is bad for drag, where in fact turbulent flow is good for drag. So it was the complete opposite, and it went on for about two pages. Which is a shame, because uh, at least they should get someone who's an engineer to write that stuff, who studied aerodynamics. And then I, they wouldn't make those and very simple mistakes. And I don't think it needs to be explained on the two pages. I think a few diagrams would have been able to explain it far easier, but but that's another point. So. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I hate to pick on the New Scientist because it's a, it's a publication, but they, they should do better. Or even like, you know... Um, they should hire you. Yeah, uh, even like things like uh, QI, right? Uh, which I find quite interesting. Uh, hence the name. Uh, <laughs> if if you guys don't know, if you're if not from the UK, it's um it's one of those uh, comedy panel shows that are very popular here in the UK. You have a bunch of comedians and you discuss a subject, and this one is particular because you usually discuss interesting things. Hence the name, quite interesting, and usually you know scientific things like you know like lobsters can live forever, but many times they the sources they use they are not necessarily you know great. Um, especially in, in in the realm of you know stuff like psychology, uh, so much of the even the peer reviewed stuff is not is not that uh, you know um, necessarily right. Uh, you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of bunk science, in, especially in psychology. Like, oh, your brain can do this and do that. Mm. But I mean, especially if you if you extract a point from this from the study which is not there, like. The study might, you know, again, just point might correlate a couple of things together, but that doesn't mean that one causes the other. Like, there's always, you know, recent study finds links between A and B. And yeah, like then... like anxiety, right? People say, oh, anxiety is a is a uh, is a result of self-esteem, apparently. Uh, people before for other things where we had anxiety. Uh, so you know, you never know. And to present them as facts sometimes is a bit more. It's not as good because people then believe those facts, or people think that there are definitive answers on a few things when the, you know, science does not have definitive answers on many things. We have a we have a uh, a pretty good idea, like you know, the theory of evolution is is pretty much accepted, like ninety nine percent. 
We are the 1%. We are the 1%. Talking about stupid scientific studies, I've been growing my beard out a bit. Yeah, this is in reference of um, this passed around, especially, uh, I mean, you were telling me, around the uh, the Muslim community on Facebook and, and I'm sure the Arabic I'm community. Yeah, uh, it was a study about beards. Uh, and the study concluded that men with 10-day beards are more attractive to women than uh, men with, you know, with long beards or clean-shaven. Which, you know, it's one of those studies that the media loves to quote. It's one of those Jessica Alba has the perfect dimensions yeah, sort of study. Best, best wiggle when best she walks. Best wiggle. Uh, it's one of those studies that, you know, they're really quotable by... Because it, it, it makes a funny headline, you know? Like, people want to read about it because it's... You know, oh, I have a beard. You don't have a beard. I have a beard, so def- therefore I'm really sexy. Someone apparently. Well, uh, this, this is study. all in the in the name of science, obviously. Yeah, yeah in the name of science. That's why we're growing beards now because of this study. Well, well, a ten day beard for me is slightly different. <laughs> yeah, well, like, it probably take me a month to grow your ten day beard, and uh, you know, it's one of those studies where actually we don't have access to it because you have to pay, so we haven't paid to. If I'm if I'm gonna pay to access a study, well that I'm, speaks I'm gonna, a lot, doesn't it? It's like I, an inaccessible. Well, uh, there's a lot of studies that we have you have to pay anyway, like you know stuff on nature. But those I'm willing to pay, I would be willing to pay. A study about beards, I don't know if I'd be willing to pay you know forty dollars or whatever, how much it costs to access the study or to you know to to get a subscription. Uh, you can find the abstract anyway. It's yeah, but it, you know it's like well you know they only asked uh, you know. Um, American women, I think, uh, US from the US, so of course. It's another flawed. It's, it's just flawed sign. everywhere, especially mm-hmm. because every year there's like, oh, women like guys with uh, I'm not sure V-shaped how much, chests. How much science is in it, yeah. but. Women like, um, you know, women like muscly men, and no, women don't like muscly men. And then every other day there's a new study, quote unquote, which proves one thing or the other. So that sample size and, and also is. It's, and you know, it's. it's uh, some of them are really badly designed because, you know, if, if I ask you. Or not you, just people in general. Uh, what you like, you will tell me something. The way you which frame... will not necessarily be exactly what you like. Well, the way you frame questions is very it, important. Is also very important. Yeah. Uh, well, in this book I've been reading, there's a whole chapter on it that your that your mind will answer certain questions differently, and will and, and will substitute that question you're asking for an easier question. So if you've led the question already. It will, it will automatically go in that direction rather yeah, than I mean I, I don't even know how you would design a study about attractiveness of beards but you would have to have some way of determining if these people are actually telling the truth because maybe beards are fashionable now like, you know, Ben Affleck has a beard and George Clooney's wears a beard now so you know right now it might be fashionable so you, you may make the same study in 10 years time and you will find the opposite results uh, and so that's not the right way to do it Hey, even you in would the have Superman to, trailer, he has a beard at the start. Yeah, you would have to do it with like, a, you know, like maybe you measure testosterone in the blood. It just, it, it's a stupid study to make anyway, because it's not something which is particularly useful. I, I don't think. Again, it's one of those. Um, do you know who who actually oh, oh did the study? No, I'm not sure. Because it sounds like again one of those. Um, Science uh, for press conference. Yeah, I think it came out on, well, the, on a period paper. Okay. These um, departments that are just looking for a bit of publicity and uh, yeah, I mean the, the study is published in the journal Evolution and Human Behavior, so it is a peer-reviewed journal, but that doesn't mean that much. Yeah. It's still better than you know the you get these really small or you know unknown universities in the UK who only uh, publish the study to the press. I, I, I was looking, I might have talked about this before. Uh, we have. 
mm. you know, I was looking for to study about footballs, like uh, the the aerodynamics of uh, you know soccer balls. And the study is not published anywhere. If you want it, you have to ask their press office to send it to you. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm not going to trust anything they say in the study. It might be a good, might be well done, but they're obviously just looking for publicity, which is, which is not, again, it's not the way you do science. Uh, but while looking at this silly study, we found something even sillier. Uh, someone you know, on Reddit, when the study was posted, asked, you know, how do you measure? Like, what's a 10-day beard, right? And, and some brought up, you know, there's lots of funny units of measurements, and one is the beard second. And now this is an actual unit, right? Well, it, it, anything can be a unit if you say it is, but it, obviously it's not used for anything because it doesn't have much of an application. But uh, what is a standard beard second? But you, you can use it on Google for stuff. <laughs> yeah. you, can, you can, you know, you can translate. Uh, so a beard second is like it's a hundred angstroms of beard per second. Okay, so it's like. Uh, light year in that it's a measure of distance, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it's it's a measure of uh, growth speed. Is it speed? Well, yeah. It's like I thought it's a measure of distance. No, every second, your the average man's beard, they say, grows a hundred angstroms. Angstroms. Okay, and an angstrom is in it's like one nanometer, I think. One nanometer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's ask Google. Uh, but yeah, so uh, it's kind of a funny unit. So you can extrapolate that a 10-day beard is about 9 millimeters. So was like, it 1 times 10 to the minus 9 meters? Well, it's per second. So there are 3,600 seconds per day. 100 angstroms <laughs> is 10 nanometers. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, so in 100 seconds you will have grown, you know, 100 beard seconds of your beard. But of course, <laughs> that's silly because uh, beards grow differently on different people. Uh, but looking at humorous uh, units, there's some quite a few funny ones. I, I like the smoot, which is uh, um, uh, the height of a guy called Smoot. I can't remember his first name, Robert. Okay. Uh, and basically, when he was a pledge in some fraternity, I think at MIT uh, or Harvard, somewhere in Massachusetts, uh, uh, they used him to measure the length of a bridge. They basically had him, <laughs> you know, had him like lie down on the bridge and. You know, where his head would be, they would put a chalk line and then they would do it again. And I think the bridge measured around 360 smooths. Brilliant. Uh, and then this guy became the head of uh, of ANSI and then the head of um, the ISO Institute. So they he, he actually went into the International standard, Standards Organization. Yeah, he went into standard measurements. He was the head of the standard measurements organization, <laughs> which, you know, it's fitting to someone who, who you know, who had a unit in after him. And in fact, on Google Maps, you can actually use the smoot as a unit. Like, if you have two two different places, you can ask how many smoots does it take from cool. one place to the other, and stuff like that. So it was quite funny. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up for today. Uh, you're looking forward to uh, video games, right? Someone you're gonna play some Injustice this weekend? Yep, it's on its way. It's a beat 'em up, right? The Mortal Kombat guys, but with. Uh, but DC DC characters, characters Batman. Yeah. I think we mentioned before when they had like a, an online voting battle thing. And yeah, then, where you basically vote for your favorite character, and then Batman and Superman were left standing at the end, which yes. was not surprising. Uh, I've been playing Tomb Raider, which is surprisingly good. Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider, 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 Tomb Raider, uh, which is surprisingly good. I quite like it with Lara, and she's much less sexualized than she used to be. No more hot pants. No, no, and also she gets beat up a lot in the game. Like she, she gets dirtier and I guess more scratched. That, and I guess that uh, appeals to a certain uh, like our demographic. I don't know, but she, she's she's not she's not sexualized at all, which is which is nice. She's just a very strong Damn. character. 
and she becomes a strong character in the middle of the game. You kill a bunch of people, which is, I guess, a little weird, but that's video games for you. Uh, you know, I guess you do have people who uh, have a helicopter outside my window. Uh, they're after me. They're after you, yeah. You your beard. You tip them off. But, uh... Hey, it's only 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're just too sexy to have to arrest you. The women find you irresistible with your 10-day beard. But yeah, I'm, I'm surprised by the game. It's pretty good. Uh, I quite like it. Uh, but there are people who uh, play video games and you know, skip the story. Like, if, you, if I play a Tomb Raider without the story... It would be just running from A to B and shooting people, right? Or climbing things. But there are people who just, uh, you know, who can still play video games like that. Who can play video games by just shoot, shooting the things whole up. Point of like, these... yeah, yeah, I got a shotgun now. And they obviously don't know how they got it because the, the, the cutscene, they didn't <laughs> they see it. it. And maybe it says. What's the point of playing a game maybe like it says you know, something... Metal Gear Solid without the cutscenes? Maybe, maybe it says something about uh, what video games are still. That you can just play a video game by just shooting things. Yeah. You know, without any more to it. Alright, I think that will do it for, for us this week. Uh, That's it. Uh, you guys should visit our blog. Uh, it's doing quite well, but there's a new article there every day. If you want to learn more about tardigrades that we mentioned a lot about during this podcast, we should, should have a look at. Also, um, if you have any examples of your own bad English um, used, uh, or, or sorry, not bad English, unnecessarily complex language, Use please send them in. Yeah, because they're always the fun email to is piecubedcast at gmail dot com, or just well, wherever on the website, or, or, you know, uh, on Twitter, you on the website, Facebook. The website is piecubed.co.uk, uh, and it will just Google piecubed, you'll find it, and uh, yeah, leave a comment on the stories you like, or contact us on Twitter, or send us an email, and you know if uh, we get some funny ones, probably read them out loud uh, next week, which should be quite fun. All right, thanks, Salman. See you guys next week. Bye. Ciao.